Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome back to Corporate Caffeine. As promised, today is part two of our conversation with Mike Myro, executive coach. Let's jump in. There are four things that have to be present for a sale to take place. Number one, you got to be talking to a decision maker. Okay. What happens when you're not talking to a decision maker? Circle the wagon. There's a book. I can't remember what book it is. A sales training book. You might know, Mike, and they call them Seymour's. Yeah. I want to see more, see more, see yeah, more. Seymour. And you do not want to build long-term relationships with Seymour because right. he can't say he yes. Can't, he, can't, he can't pull the trigger. That's he can't write the check. So why waste a lot of time with somebody who can't make a decision? So you got to be talking to a decision maker. Second thing is there's got to be an identified problem, issue, challenge, or want. There's got to be an identified issue that you can solve. No pain, no change. If there is no issue there, Walk away. That's right. Okay. I have come upon clients that, man, they're doing everything great. I'm going to have minimal impact on their organization. Yep. Okay. And that's great. I had a prospect about two years ago. I still keep in touch with them loosely, but they have this outstanding, outstanding software in regards to identifying the likely success of a technology investment outstanding. Mm -hmm. No one can touch them. Like what they can project is absolutely incredible. They've had so much success. They are bathing and rolling around in money, but they are nowhere close to their potential and they know it. I mean, they know they are in a true blue ocean scenario where they could easily quadruple their revenue and it's already so pretty substantial. And we're talking and I can see the blueprint of how to get them way past that, you know, billion dollar mark Mm -hmm. and all of this. It's so evident, but I'm listening to him and he is happy. They go out in the boat all the time. They know some of the most famous, successful business people. They work with the creme de la creme of companies. Mm-hmm. They are L-I-V-I-N, living and loving their success. And I just, I find that at the end of the conversation, I said, I know exactly how to help you. And I don't think you'll move forward because no pain, no change. And I said, what you're going to have to do to do this, I don't think you want it. You know? And I said, so I need you to go back to your partners and you guys need to determine, do you really want that? Or are you loving, and sure enough, they didn't move forward, you know, but I was like, I'm not having 10 more meetings to hear what I'm already hearing that you just bought your sailboat, you know, and then like, your life is amazing and you've done what you want to do. You can't want it more for yes, them than they do. That is that's exactly, a, that's another recipe for, for disaster. Exactly if they don't right. want it, you know, that's one of my criteria now with the folks I work with. I want people that want to grow and grow fast and crush their competition. Yes. Okay. I'm not trying to be mean. No. But I want them to dominate when they play because we're playing to win. We're not playing just to play. We're playing to win. Let's go. Let's go make something happen. And, and I want them to want to crush their competition, which means we got to get better. we got to be good at what we're doing. So you've got to, you've got to have an identified issue. You've got, you've got, they've got to have an appetite to do something about it. And then the last, they've got to have a budget. They've got to have money. Okay? If any of those four things are missing, you're not going to get a sale. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so when we ask questions, we need to uncover those things. We have to be an investigative reporter. We've got to find out the facts, you know. And, and that's sales. That is sales. And, and the last thing is be ready to close the thing. One of the biggest mistakes I see sales organizations make is they fail to follow up. Oh, yes. They, they get people, right, I'm ready to buy. And then nobody calls them for two weeks. It's weird. This, I know. This I actually happened. This came up today when I was working with a client. I had referred an attorney, uh, a good friend of mine, a really good business attorney to this guy. He said, I called him. I talked to him. And he was supposed to get back to me. I didn't hear from him for 10 days. What? You know, 10 days? <laughs> that's two weeks. <laughs> you know, that's a pet peeve of mine. I've walked away and found someone else in a heartbeat 
and I just don't feel good about it. No. I was like, they must not want my business. That's yes, exactly that's right. That's what you're communicating. And so you 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 got to have a sense of urgency about the deal. But here's the other thing I was going to say when, around sales. There's you have to control the sales process as a salesperson, not the customer. You know, the, what what happens when the customer says, "Well, I need to think about it." They're not telling you something is what's happening. Yeah. And so we need to undercover what it is they need to think about. That's right. You have to be, like you said earlier, a buying partner. Right. Not across the table. And if they will not tell you the truth, you cannot sell them anything. Ask them. That's right. Just ask them. Ask them. Don't be afraid. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're not going to get to sell. You already don't have it. Or you get to know more about them. Yeah. Or you can answer their question and they're ready to do the deal. Exactly. You know? So you've got you've got to you've got to uncover that stuff, and and be in a position to close the deal, follow up and close the deal. But you've got to control the sales process. When somebody says, well, "Give me the weekend and let me think about it," okay, that's okay. I mean, I, there's that's a lot okay. of times I, you know, we're talking about. A hey, lot you of know, them. on Monday it's ten percent more. <laughs> you know, you, that's the that's the these boss sales, right? <laughs> I'm not buying that car. I'm sorry. Yeah. This you know, is a I, weekend discount on Friday, Saturday. That's it. I always, I always remember my boss at, at Interstate right. had a saying. He says, a good deal today is a good deal tomorrow. Because yeah. <laughs> right. we, we would get computer salespeople that would yeah. come in and say, you know, if you will do this thing by tomorrow, yeah. we can we can get you this discount. And I'll say, well, can you get me the same discount on Monday? Yeah, probably. I'll say, well, I'll talk to you on Monday. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I mean, it's all these gimmicks. People hate gimmicks. Uh, they hate them. Yeah. And, and so, but as a salesperson, you should ask the question, when should I follow up with you? Yes. Okay. Every when time. should I follow up with you? Yep. You are still now in control of the sales process. So many times it's like, okay, Dacia, call me when you're ready. Call yeah, me when you. Don't when do you, that. It's dead at that point. And here is also what I've learned. It is respectful Mm -hmm. to get on someone's calendar immediately because what happened is now you're not on their to-do list. Nobody wants more to-dos, especially busy leaders. No. So the number one thing you want to do is don't give them a to-do. Get it to done, and yeah. that means get on their calendar. Get on their calendar, and and, and we're yes. going to talk on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Yes. They do not want an unexpected call. Just you going, hey, I'm checking back with you. It's Tuesday, right yeah. when you're in the middle of the meeting. Yeah. You, you're notorious for doing that. I'm scheduling a call before you get off your last call. I'll go ahead and give that away. But <laughs> yeah. That's what she does. Every single time, we'll schedule our next I call. I am very good at that. But exactly. it's a huge problem with professional salespeople is they don't follow up. They don't control the sales process. Yeah. So the, the next area is operations. Okay, so we've done leadership, marketing, sales, operations. That's the delivery of your products and services. This is where processes come into play. You know, we back in the 80s and 90s, we all had the quality movement. Okay, quality is nothing more than being able to look people in the eye and promise them that they're going to get what they expect. That's all quality is. And quality is defined by the customer, not the seller. That's right. Value That's and right. quality are defined yeah. by the customer. Exactly. Yes. So how can you ensure that the customer is going to get what they expect every single time? You have a process. Okay. This is the value of processes. Okay. I always tell people processes give you a predictable outcome. Okay. If you look inside of computer, now we'll put my geek hat back on. When you look inside the computer, the most important thing inside that box is the CPU, the central processing unit. Okay. All it does, that thing is dumb as that plant right there. Okay. It doesn't know what day it is. It doesn't know what time it is. It only does what it's told. Okay. Well, that's what you people do. They only do what they're told, the way they're shown, the instructions they're given. Okay, I always tell people processes are like the recipe on the back of the cake box. Okay, what happens if you skip a step on the back of the cake go- cake box? Usually not good. Yes, yeah. you don't get the cake that you expected, right? Right. And and so <laughs> it's a funny story. I was working with a client, and we actually worked in their living room. They didn't have an office, and so we were looking in their living room, and the daughter was making a cake for some high school thing that she was doing. And we sit there, and you know, you know how you test a cake to see if it's done. You put a toothpick in it, right? right? 
Well, she kept putting it in and pull out this glob. She'd wait 20 minutes, come back and do it again, pull out a glob. And and after doing that about four or five times, she goes, there's something not right. This cake's not getting, the oven's not working. The oven was working. And and she had forgotten to put one of the ingredients in the, the cake to, to make it bake. Yeah. You know, the baking soda. Yeah. Something like that. And we sat there and watched. And she had done all this work. But she had skipped that one step and didn't get her cake. So yeah. dad gave her 20 bucks. She went to the grocery store and bought a cake. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it, it's the recipe to get the outcome that you want. That's what processes do. And a lot of people don't understand the value of that. I love that okay? definition. And so if you think about process, uh, uh, one of the biggest challenges is people don't have their processes documented. The processes are all up here in everybody's head. Okay. What happens when that person that knows how to work that piece of equipment or do that process walks out the door because he got mad one day? Seen it happen. Yeah. You know, I got the phone call. So-and-so just quit. What? Why? You know, well, he got mad about something, something, something. People do this stuff all the time, and there goes that that institutional knowledge out the door. Yeah. Okay. What was that worth? Okay. What's it going to cost the organization to recreate that? So processes protect the company. Okay. They protect the company. You get the stuff out of somebody's head and onto a piece of paper. But the other thing it does is when we're onboarding people, what are we training them from? Okay. We don't have a document that says this is the way we do this then you're not going to get the outcome that you expect. Yep. So you've got to document your core processes. And I get asked this question a lot. Which processes should I document first? The ones that make you money. Okay? <laughs> the ones that make you money. Okay? Right? Yeah. So let's think about that. What are the core processes that make you money? Your marketing process, your sales process, delivery of your products and services, and invoicing and collection. That's the core core processes in every business. You do these in some shape, form, or fashion. Yeah. So document those first because everything else supports that engine. Yes. Okay? Yes. So your technology, your HR, your your uh, all the accounting and all that other stuff, it's so funny to watch them. They'll go to the stuff that's easy. Well, let's document our, our hiring process. Okay, we'll get to that. But let's do work on the ones that make you money first. Yeah. The ones that impact your customer first, you know, and and they're a little harder. They're a little more complicated. But having documented processes, it adds value to your business also. I had two clients that were in the printing business, and they both had decided to sell. They were both doing about $1.2 in, in sales. and But one guy was like the guy. I mean, he sold, he printed, he delivered, he every he did it all. He's working himself to death. He had no staff. He always talked about, I don't have any people I got to manage. I get to do whatever I want to do. He didn't work all the time is what he was doing. So when he got ready to sell his business, he only got the value of the assets and the customer the list. Yes. He didn't get any of the the, the the stuff that made the business valuable. Yes. The other guy had an operations manual. He had an operations manager, had a salesperson, had a customer service person. This guy got like 5X Wow. the other guy. Yeah. Okay? They were both doing the same amount of top-line revenue. Right. So you want to add some value to your business, document your processes. You know, it's interesting. Right now... Um, Having heard you talk about the importance of processes, um, you know, we have our core ones, but then there's the messy middle. <laughs> and being a creative and a disruptor, me documenting processes. It's painful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But one of the things, one of my aha moments was I realized because I love people and I love growing our team and I love seeing them successful, that when they ask questions, I realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to record this call. Or I'm going to write the email in a manner that is actually a stepped process or bullet points. And then I copy it and I save it. There you go. <laughs> it's just like it's happening by like piecemeal, bit by bit. But, you know, just one of our new chief marketing officers, she's implementing an automation system. And that is not one of those things you onboard something. Like you train it when it comes up right. because it's too big. And I realized We've done this many times because we've all known how to do this. So we just picked up the ball and ran with it when it was our turn. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, 
wow, I've never documented a single aspect of this. And this is a big deal and it's an easy process to document sure. that can cause a lot of problems. And so I'm trying to just, you know, and I just told her the truth. I said, I'm going to get you videos and documents of all this. Just hang with me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to use Listen, this to process, maximum effectiveness. Process is not really hard to do. Okay. People think it's a lot more difficult than they think. You know, you can do process documentation on a yellow legal pad and a pen. Just write down what you do. Okay. And here's how you test it. You give it to somebody and say, do that and see if you get the outcome. If you do, you got your process. Yeah. You know, to go back to those two businesses selling that basically had equal revenue, mm -hmm. people out there who are trying to sell their business have to really understand that because you're not always looking for the buyer that already knows that business. One of the guys sold it for their client list probably to another printing company. Probably did. Who yeah. said, oh, we just need that yeah. extra and we need revenue the equipment too. and yeah. equipment. Yeah. And the other one sold it to a business guy who said, oh, there's this type of margin in this business. I don't know anything about it, but I do know numbers and I know that it's profitable. I'm ready to purchase it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why his yep. multiple was 5X as opposed to the other guy. Yeah. And and it's it's not that hard to do, and it adds so much value yeah. to your business. But it also is the reason you can look your client in the eye and say you're going to get what you paid for. Okay, one of the things I've learned about the coaching business is that people appreciate the fact that I have a process. I'm not just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, you know everything I do is proven over and over with hundreds of thousands of companies, okay? I'm not making this stuff up. This is what works in these high-performing businesses. And the fact that we have it into a systematic paint-by-the-numbers process gives them confidence that they're going to get the outcome that they want. Yeah. And so operations is all about delivering what people bought in a way that they feel good about their investment, they feel good that they got the quality they expected, and they 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 are more than willing to pay for it. Okay? That's the other thing. Well, people aren't willing to pay their bill. Well, it's because they probably don't perceive they got the value that they expected to pay. I love to pay my bill when I get the value. Yes. You know, I, I want to say thank you. And Dave Ramsey has a saying, he said, people vote with their dollars. I love you know? that. Yes. And, and so pe true. people vote with their dollars. And, and so, you know, having your processes defined so that your operational side of your business is very consistent and predictable. This is how you figure out capacity also. Okay, because capacity, you know, I always tell people, go get the business. We'll figure out how to deliver it. Okay, well, that's real tough. If we go out and 3x the business, we get some great marketing and, and sales. But now we got to figure out how to deliver it. If your processes aren't clear, you can't scale. That's right. See, that's the other issue is you can't scale. Everybody goes, well, I want to be bigger. Great. How are you going to do that? You can't scale your organization if you don't have your processes clearly defined. And who owns those processes? Who's responsible for making sure they're as efficient and produce the outcome that you want? Because if the answer is the CEO, you are not scaling you, anything. No, you're not. You, you're you're going to run into a capacity problem. Consistently, too. So yeah. that's operations. And then the, the fifth area is customer relationships. Who's managing the relationship with the customer post-sale? Okay, a lot of times it's a customer service group or somebody, but who is making sure that they love us? Okay, and I used to uh, get a, a really nice handwritten card every year from from a vendor that said, "Thank you for working with me. I appreciate every bit of your business." And here's a Starbucks gift card for five dollars. Go get a cup of coffee on me. Okay, now that didn't cost him but five dollars and a stamp. Okay, and you know what? I my perception of that person went way up compared to the other guy that sold me the same stuff that did nothing. See, it's ways that you can gain favorable position with your customers, just little things that you can do, and and it doesn't take a lot, but that's going to deliver that repeat business, those referrals, and those testimonials. This comes so much back to process and culture. 
in that one too, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, for instance, you know, professional services business, this is challenging. Building process around people's creativity in innovation. Mm -hmm. So our processes are about garbage in, garbage out. So how do we have a process where you have good stuff going in, you know, which you know, maximizes the likelihood that excellence is going to come out. But the other thing is we have a small but mostly flat organization too. We don't try to keep our creative team, our doers, away from clients. And um, that has a lot to do. You have to really trust your team to have the same values and the same amount of empathy and care and concern and integrity that even though we all have different personalities – that the clients are going to choose to love them because we're bringing the same values and excellence to the table, even though it's in different ways. But I mean, man, you have to be very thoughtful mm -hmm. about it and it can be nerve wracking, you know, but well, when you let it go, people will be better. And I tell people all the time, this should not be by accident. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy that's written a book. His name is Joey Coleman. And, and the name of the book is never lose a customer again. And he talks about this process of managing the entire relationship from, be from beginning, interest, sale, delivery of services, and ongoing. Yeah. And he's, the premise of the book is that people are making a decision in the first 90 days of the relationship whether they're going to be with you long term or not. Mm. So what can you do early on in that relationship to lock those people in where they won't even think about going somewhere else? Yeah. Okay? Um. So the customer relationship should be by design, not by accident. And architect how you want them to feel about you and your organization, okay? Um, one of the things we do when I get a referral from a, a uh, customer or from a uh, strategic partner, well, I always send some kind of gift back to let them know how much I appreciate. It's little stuff like that. That gets them wanting to give me more. Yes. Okay, because they like the attention. They like it's just like Christmas. You know, you get a box in the mail. It's like, whoa, what is this? Yes. You know, and and it doesn't. There's a, a wonderful book written by a guy named John Rulin called Giftology. Oh, I follow his emails. He is marvelous. He's a pretty awesome guy. Oh my gosh, he has so many good ideas. But he's built a business around corporate gifting. Gifting, okay? yes. And and using it as a marketing tool. And he's got all these stories that he tells about how gifting a client has led to more business and, and done different things. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of John's. And, and so what are you doing to, to... It's also a way to differentiate yourself. You know, I mean, we can all sit here. We, I promise you, we could sit here and talk about the last 10 times we got really bad service. Easily. Yeah. Easy, right? Because yeah. it's so common out there. Yeah. How long could we talk about having really great service or a great experience? Okay. Um, we were on vacation uh, in Orlando, and we actually went to a couple of the Disney parks. Okay. Epcot, I was not blown away with, but animal the the animal park was awesome. But you know what? Everybody that worked at Disney was incredibly nice, very fun, very engaging. You know, and my wife made a comment. She goes, "These are such nice people." I said, "They're trained to be that way. It's not accidental." They are trained that they, they call them being on stage. Yeah. You know, as they're opposed cast. to they're, they're not cast. Even they're not employees. employees, they're cast members. Yes. What what kind of mind thing does that so do? Different. You know, I'm on stage. People are watching me. They're watching how I interact. And it's by design. Yeah. Disney is is great about that. And and so as an organization, it's on us. I, I tell people business growth should come from three areas. Existing customers, marketing efforts, and strategic relationships. Okay, 50, 25, 25. 50% of your growth should come from your existing customer base. And if it's not, then why not? What are we not doing that people are willing to refer us? Okay. And a lot of it is we never ask. Yes. We never ask for a referral. You know, I mentioned John Janch earlier. He's got a book called The Referral Engine. And it really gives some really good tips and ideas on how to build a referral program, 
okay, without coming across as, oh, please, 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 give me give me yeah. a business. You yeah. don't want to do that. No. You want them to want to give you a referral. Yes. Okay? So how do you architect an experience that makes them to want to refer you to somebody that they know? Because exactly. they know this is a small world. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Okay? I mean, it's amazing. My wife and I, we never go anywhere that we don't run into some someplace that she knows somebody. <laughs> Everywhere. We're we're in the treehouse restaurant in San Diego at the San Diego Zoo and this guy walks up, Tammy? And I'm like, Who is that? You know? How is this happening? <laughs> you didn't know she was a TikTok star. I didn't I didn't. Yeah. I was like, Whoa, this is weird, you know. But but it's it's phenomenal how small the world is, especially with social media. Yeah. Okay. Here's the other side of it. If you don't create a great customer experience, People are going to talk about it, and they're going to talk about it on social media. They're going to say, hey, I, especially if they're mad. <laughs> okay. American Airlines. Yeah. yeah let's, <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's one we could <laughs> lament about. But the, the, you know, when people are mad, they take the social media. Yes. Okay. So it, it takes one-tenth the amount of effort to sell to an existing customer as it does to find a new customer. Yeah. And we don't recognize the value of that. And so there's no investment, there's no design to it, and it can be one of the biggest ways to grow. You probably know the statistic better than I do, so I'm sorry if I'm butchering it, but I think the statistic is that a 2% reduction in customer churn, so just keeping 2% more of your customers over that revenue, is equivalent to a 10% cut in costs yeah. like it has that much of an impact on your profit and a 10 percent cut in cost is hard yeah that's hard yeah that is a big slash but and getting two so, percent retain uh, you know stopping the not, churn you know and and it's really interesting a lot of people don't know their numbers and that leads to the the eighth area so you know if you can do something that gets people to stay with you and continue to refer to you i mean that is gold it is gold. You're mining for gold every time you do business with them. And and doing it intentionally. You know, not just because we're nice people, but really architecting that 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 experience you want them to have. And it's just as important. It's that nurture marketing is just as important as the attraction piece. Yeah. If not more important. Yes. So we've done leadership, marketing, sales, operations, customer relationship. Now we go to people. Okay. People is one of those areas that most organizations don't do very well. Okay. Now let me give you an example. Have either of you ever been professionally trained in how to hire somebody? No. No. Okay. But yet you still have to hire people, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how do we hire people? As <laughs> I have so many stories. I don't even know how to answer that. So many good and bad ones. <laughs> yeah. And she does have an extensive interview process steps to it i mean that's it's documented yeah it's still um, hard but it's always changing yeah also and, you, you know we and... do qualify them through resumes x y and z and when it comes down to it there's multiple interviews then it's the gut reaction of, i know do these people fit our culture yes yeah. and well we kind of figure that out early in the stage or hopefully hopefully we do because i do but the that culture is, check that's first the deciding factor oh, the majority hard. of the time so it's not always experience um no it, it, it's will fit yeah yeah so most people hire the way they've been hired mm. they they use the process that was used on them sure uh, they got a job that makes sense. well no i we don't i don't we don't do this i don't do it well you have big business background too like yeah coca-cola and Bush and a lot of automation let's take the people out of the people process yeah, I know, I know. so i bet i've got a long uh, story behind that but ushaka anyways i'm already in sales of coca-cola and this that and the other and i was looking um I forget which type of move I was going to make. And I go, you know what? I'm just going to test their system. And I put in for a part-time gate checker in at a place I was already working for for years. Couldn't get an interview. It's not what I was looking for. I just wanted to go to <laughs> HR and say, 
do you realize there might be a little issue here that, you know, my name might not even have popped up on something I'm well overqualified for? Yeah. You know, yeah. anyways. Oh, I've, I've seen that happen. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to uh, HR management systems. I'm not opposed to those at all. As a matter of fact, uh, they can be very valuable because it can eliminate some of the administrative work that you need to do. But you got to know how to use them. And you got to understand that you're still dealing with a person on the other end of that yes. phone, on the other side of that piece of paper. There was an interesting statistic several years back from the Society of Human Resource Management that says that 70% of the information that is on a resume or on a LinkedIn profile is either embellished or false. What? 70%. The false thing kills me. Embellished. 70%? 70%. What? Yeah, 70%. Okay. Well, how many times do we hear in the news, so-and-so just got fired because they said they had, had a degree from some university that they oh, never attended? Yeah, we see this all the time. We see it with politicians, the yes. ones that you're going, wait a minute. Yeah. You they, don't think anyone's going to call you yeah. out? You're on the public stage. Exactly. Well, and the reason yeah. why people do that is because organizations don't do the checking. Mm. They're so worried about getting a butt in the seat yeah. that they don't do the reference checking or validating that these people are telling the truth. Yeah. And so your your hiring process has to ferret that out. There's a, a great book written by a guy named Brad Smart called Top Grading. And that was what, a process that he used as a consultant for General uh, GE when Jack uh, Welch was there. And what they did was he, he did these reference checks. Okay, he called it the truth serum because he would have them set up the reference call, not not them pick up the phone and set up the reference call. He would have the, the person applying for the job set up the that reference call. That is brilliant. And, and what if they go, well, I don't want you to talk to my old boss. You know? And one of the great questions uh, that, that we try to get people to ask is, would you, of the person that you're, you know, you're talking to in the reference, would you enthusiastically rehire this person? What what are they saying when they hesitate? Yes, and that's all you needed to know. That's, that's it. You know, you know there's something there. Yeah. Okay. And and we get lazy when it comes to hiring people. Yeah. We've got to get a butt in the seat. Because if we don't get a butt in the seat, then I gotta do this work. And it, yeah, exactly. The longer it goes on, the more stressed out you're getting. That's exactly yes. right. So let's get somebody in there. Hopefully we'll get one. Yeah. Statistically, according to, to Brad. Uh, the chance of you hiring an A player is one out of four. Mm. Okay, statistically. All right. That makes uh, sense. You guys have heard of the container store, right? Oh, yeah. They have a, a philosophy over there that one A player equals three C players. Okay? I totally buy that. Yes. So you can have fewer people and pay more money if you will take the time to do a good hiring process. Yeah. Okay. And the number one issue that I hear in organizations is I got people problems. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. I got the wrong people in the wrong seats doing the wrong stuff. Okay. Yep. Whose fault is that? Uh, I know. right? You know, whose yes. fault is that? And, and so part of it is having a process that, that will produce the A players for you. So that's the attraction part of it. But then we get to the retention part. How do you get them to stay? Yeah. Okay. And one of the things we do every quarter with all of our clients is we categorize. We do a, an, an employee evaluation of whether they're an A player, a B player, a BC player, or a C player. Okay. A players have high alignment with your core values and are highly productive. Okay, we call those the thoroughbreds. We want we want lots of those people. Right. Okay. B players are high alignment with your values but low productivity. They could be new or it could be they need a kick in the pants. Or to, they're in the to, wrong are in the wrong seat. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah. what are we doing to move these guys? So we we do a performance improvement plan with those people to say if you do this here, you can be over here. Okay? BC players, highly productive, but they're jerks. There's yeah. low alignment with the core values. That's dangerous. Okay? And, and so these are people that need a behavior change. Okay? We don't talk to people like that. We don't do this to our coworkers. We don't do this to our customers or our vendors or whoever. Okay? So it's about a behavior change. Low alignment with the values, but highly productive. 
We don't want to get rid of them because they're highly productive, but we want to help them understand that the current behavior is not going to get you there. Then there's the C players. C players, low values, low productivity. Okay. We call C, see the door. Okay. <laughs> you want to get those people out of your organization as quickly as possible yeah. because we, we call them the donkeys. Okay. Thoroughbreds and donkeys don't like each other. Mm. Okay. So how do you, you know, think about it. These people are up here working hard, running hard, making stuff happen. And these guys are just kind of lolling around the, the yard, you know, just yeah. kind of taking up space. You know, <laughs> we used to see it all the time. And I, I don't know if there's a stat out there, but you did bring up 25% earlier. And I was going to circle back to that as well when it entails with uh, sales. Is you, we, throughout my history, I've seen there's 25% of the sales force that are top performers, carry all the weight, 50% get by, meet expectations on a review, and then 25% are low performers. You're always trying to yeah. circle in and fill that position. It's something that I'm like, all right, that's got to be written down somewhere because I've seen it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's like the 25% that carry that business and that sales that you're like, all right, how do we get just half these people to achieve what they're doing or even come close? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's it, it's tricky, though, because you do need people to fill that seat. It's just you've got to be willing to – let that bottom 25% that door revolve. So Get what is the level of investment that you're going to make in those B players or BC players to get them to be an A player? Yeah. yeah. You know, and BC, this is why we do this every 90 days because you can see people move from box to box. Okay. But if you've got a BC player that you've talked to, okay, their behavior is un unacceptable. It violates our values. Okay, if you've talked to them and they don't change their behavior, how long are you going to allow that to happen? Yeah. You know, uh, Dave Ramsey has a term uh, called sanctioned incompetence. <laughs> that's, a, that's what you're doing. You're saying yes. this is okay to be this way to people. That's right. And, and it's not. And that's right back to the culture. That's right. What did you just do? That's exactly yeah. right. And so you, you've got to get your HR act together, okay? Hiring, firing, Onboarding, training, uh, giving feedback. That's the other thing is, is uh, you know, one of the greatest, as I studied HR in college, one of the great curses of HR is annual performance reviews. They were created by corporate HR to say we're giving people feedback, and they are horrible. I'm so glad you're circling back to this because I thought it was so ironic earlier when you're clearly, yeah. you know, somebody who loves people. And loves maximizing their performance. And you went straight to, I hate performance reviews. And I was like, ooh, that is juicy. Yeah. So, okay, keep going on. So, so we've all been through them. You got an annual performance review. How do they typically go? You're doing a good job. Here's a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Just keep it up. Yep. What did you learn? Okay. Even though secretly they're going, boy, I wish she wouldn't do that. Instead of giving you that feedback. And usually it's 11 months past when it happened. Yeah. Okay, that's not going to work. So one of the things we encourage people to do is have 90-day feedback sessions, mm, mutual yeah. feedback sessions. Mm. Okay, we don't call them reviews because they're not reviews. No. Okay, they're feedback sessions. What's working for you? What's not working for you? What can I do to help you? Okay, what is it that you need that will help you do your job better? Okay, I need some training or I need some tools or whatever, whatever it is. What feedback do you have for me? What am I doing that's making you mad? Okay. I hate it when you come in and eat the cookies on my desk. <laughs> you know, I hate it. You know? and, and we actually had that happen in Interstate Batteries. We had a guy that would go around. He'd find food. He'd eat it. And he, it didn't matter <laughs> oh it, God, who it belonged to. He would eat everybody's food. Who called him out on it? Uh, well, we all got together. If we had more time, I would tell you what we did to the guy. Oh, okay? no. it, it involved cat food. I'll oh, just leave it at that. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're working from home right now, so yeah. I get you leave the seat down. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just, I forget. Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. So, yeah, we, 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 uh, we had a little cat food cake one day. That's and, brilliant. And he, he just oh, eat it. Goodness. Like, man, this is good. So we're going to have a huge, we're going to have a huge book list that we're going to have to, to put oh. on the descriptions 
um, of all this experience. He's read it. He's done it. He. Oh, it's amazing. I know. It's going to be the longest. It's incredible. It is the longest podcast we've had by far. Oh, I know. It's awesome. It should have done two parts. So there there are two two other areas of the eight functions. You've got the people. The next is systems. Okay. Okay, wait. So this is interesting. System. And when you talk about process earlier, I think systems. They were people I know. I'm so well, interested. You can have process down here too. Okay. But when I talk about systems, I'm talking about where do we gain leverage using technology? Mm. Okay. Every business uses technology in some shape, form, or fashion. If you don't, you're not on this planet. That's right. Okay. So, you know, what is your game plan for how you use your technology? And there's a couple of points I want to make. Number one, have a disaster plan, a disaster recovery plan. Okay. I had a client that called me one Saturday morning at about 6 a.m. He says, we had a bad lightning storm here last night and we think lightning knocked out our server. Okay. And I'm like, well, you've got, you've got an HR, I mean, an IT company over here that's taking care of your stuff. Pick, pick up the phone, call them and have them bring you another server. I know they've got them in stock. Just get them, bring it over to have them restore the backups and you're back up and running. Cost you a little bit of time. No big deal, right? So they did that. Come back, fired it up. The backups were bad. Backups were bad. We just backups were bad. Oh, Never gosh. tested it. Okay? Oh, gosh. And so that endeavor cost that company $1 million mm. in back work that they had to do. Rebuild their customer database, rebuild no. their financials, rebuild all that stuff. Oh, wow. You know, the, the backups were bad. No. So no. you got to have a disaster recovery plan. You're dealing with equipment that will break. Yeah. Okay. It will go bad. It's not if, it will happen. Yeah. Okay. And so just assume that it's going to happen and what are you going to do when it does? Mm. Okay. What happens if you have a fire? What happens if you have a flood? What happens if a tornado hits your building? What's your plan? It's not that hard. It's just figure out what you're going to do. What's your contingency plan around your system? So really quick, what's your opinion on using these big services? You know, like Dropbox or Box or... I'm a big fan. You know? I'm a like, big fan. Is that, is that catastrophe proof? Sure. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of cloud-based systems. And let me tell you why. If you think about the companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Apple and all these people that do this stuff, Dropbox and, and Intuit and, and these companies, they hire the best of the best to do their stuff. They're going to hire way better talent than you could hire for what you're going to pay. Have way better equipment. So why not you <laughs> leverage that stuff? Yeah. But the key in systems is find your points of failure. Where are your mm-hmm. points of failure? Okay. I'll give you a real life example. This happened a couple of weeks ago. We have, uh, we live out in the country, okay? So our internet is radio-based. I had to put up a 70-foot tower so I could have point-to-point radio with the tower in downtown commerce. And it's been very reliable, very, very good. Somebody cut the fiber to those guys. So their their whole commerce leg was down. Holy cow. This was on a Wednesday, during the week, when me and my wife are both trying to work from home, yep. no internet. I'm able to use my phone, but we're in the country, so the signal's not real good. I mean, it was adequate, but it wasn't great, okay? And I mean, it took them over 24 hours to get that thing fixed. So I was like, okay, I, as my IT guy kicks in, and I'm going, I can't have this happen again. So I immediately called HughesNet, the satellite people, and got a HughesNet deal at my house cost me a hundred bucks a month i can pay for that hundred dollars in productivity by not losing my internet so now i have two internet solutions coming into my house that's a good point okay i may never use the hughes net but you know what it's there if i need it Yeah. yeah okay and and so find the points of failure and eliminate them create redundancy so that you're not down funny story I was walking through the hall. We were going through the budget process at Interstate Batteries, and we had a very large IT budget. We had a large staff and a lot of equipment, really leveraging technology a lot. And we'd just come out of the budget meeting, and Norm Miller, the owner of the company, goes, Myro, he said, we sure spend a lot of money on this computer stuff. He goes, is it really worth it? I said, Norm, let me go upstairs and turn it all off. 
And then you tell me if it's worth it. That's good. Okay? You're going to have 750 people sitting on their hands. They can't call. They can't email. They can't do their work. I said, you tell me if it's worth it. He goes, I get it. I get it. I mean, technology has so, become so embedded in what we do every day. I mean, you look at the power of these phones and 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 what you can do with some of these tools. I mean, I would have killed I've had some of this stuff when I was doing this stuff. We didn't do it all by hand. And and uh, but here's the other thing about technology. We're not after, and I see you know a statistic like like seventy percent of ERP implementations fail. Yeah. Okay. They fail because of the word implementation. It's not about getting it implemented. It's about getting it adopted. Change management. How do yes. you adopt this technology yes. into the way I do my business? Yep. See, technology doesn't do anything for you unless it becomes a part of how you operate. Yes. Okay? And if you refuse to learn how to use it or use the features of it, okay, then you're never going to get the ROI for the investment that you make. Yes. Okay? And companies are spending billions of dollars on this technology but it never gets adopted absolutely and and so you see it in marketing systems you see it in erp systems you see it in 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 uh crms and and these types of things i had a client that has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on salesforce and i'm going okay tell me what our pipeline looks like i have no idea what oh good <laughs> what? Yes. are you kidding yes and and you're just like what would you spend your money on? Yes. You know, well, we got it all set up, but our people won't use it. Okay. Well, who works for who here? Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a guy named Dave Curlin who uh, has a, a piece of software called OMG that evaluates salespeople on whether <laughs> oh, they'll goodness. be successful or not. Wow. It's really good stuff. Interesting. I mean, it's really good. But he has this blog post, and it's fascinating stuff. I mean, he's one of the best that, that I like to read about sales. And one of the things he, he says is that CRMs are not optional anymore. Definitely. You can't be a professional salesperson and not use a CRM. Definitely. You can't manage the data. But the organization doesn't know what's going on out there. Okay? So you've got to have systems that give you the, the information so you know what's working and what's not working. You know, it's funny because going back to process, or that's a perfect example, but there's got to you sometimes you even have to think through what's the off-screen trigger that's going to what is technology actually replacing? So our CM, CRM adoption, I think with a pen and a pencil in my hand. I love to write notes. That is not healthy in regards to getting tribal knowledge that I'm hearing about a prospective client who is communicating pain and breakdown and business problems and it's my job to brief the team once we close that deal. So it was super simple in regards to no longer am I allowed to write in the, my team, same thing. We don't write notes. You open up the CRM, write, before and you type straight into yeah, it, and yeah. there are no excuses. The, that's yeah. where the that's go. where the adoption comes into play. But that's I had to realize it was the paper that it was replacing, and I mean, and it took some time to go. That yeah. is the thing. I literally would even have a little thing on my calendar five minutes before open up the CRM. Yeah. <laughs> but there's stuff that's happening in real life that it's got to. You know, I use I use HubSpot for my CRM and it directly attaches to my email. Yep. I know. So every time Ours I send too. an email to a prospect or a client, it gets captured over here in HubSpot. Yes. So that conversation is there. So I can go over here and look at the client and see all the activity. Every call because when I do make a call, I, I make a note. I talk to so-and-so and such and such. Day. Yes, absolutely. Here's the value in that. Okay, the I've had clients go, well, I haven't heard from you. Well, wait a minute. I, here's the email that I sent on such and such date. Here's where I called you. You know, I mean, you having your act together, number one, will shut up those whiners out there. But number two, it says I'm a pro. I'm professional at yes. what I do. Yes. And and pros play this way. Pros use these tools. And so. Invest the time to learn how to use your tools. Yeah. You know, uh, you'd mentioned toolbox earlier. You know, as a mechanic growing up, we kept all our tools in one spot. 
That And at the end of the day, we put them all back. That way, when my dad went to look for a screwdriver that he really needed and, and liked, it was always there. Because ask me how I found out when I didn't put it back. You know, I mean, he made it clear you don't take a tool out of here without putting it back. Right. And and because you don't want to have to spend an hour looking for it. Okay. And so learning to use the tools the right way can save so much time and deliver such positive ROI. Uh, companies invest. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars in technology tools that never get utilized. Yeah. And so you want to have a strategy that gets adoption. You know, disaster recovery and adoption, those are two big things. Last thing, and then I'll shut up. Okay, the last function is metrics. Okay, when things get measured, things improve. Pick a topic. I don't care. Okay, when we measure how much weight we're losing, what happens? We, we keep losing weight. We measure measure how many calories we're eating. When we measure, you know, and, and by the way, Weight Watchers will tell you that's the number one key to weight loss is tracking. Yep. Tracking, okay? yep. Um, do you know the metrics that really drive your business? See, dashboards, getting visibility to activity. You know, I always tell people sales is a function of activity and skill. I don't worry about the skill till I see the activity. Am I talking to enough people? Am I submitting enough proposals? Following up. Yes. I, I'll give you an example. I had a window washing franchise that I was working with. And when we looked at their sales team, their sales team was actually closing like one to two deals a week. That was it. They had two salespeople. That wasn't enough to fill a truck, you know. And the guy was losing money. And I said, you know, let's look at the numbers. And so we started analyzing the numbers. And what we found was, Every eight proposals, we got a deal. So I said, let's let's kind of change the game here a little bit. I said, I called the sales guys in. I said, I want you to, I don't care how many deals you close. I want you to write eight proposals today. And tomorrow, eight proposals. And the next day, eight proposals. And the numbers worked out. All of a sudden, we went from two deals a week to five, two times. We went from two to ten just by writing proposals, because we found the tri- the the activity that drove the sales. Okay, it's a law of numbers, you know. And so, do you have the activity that's going to get you the business? But here's the other side of it: you'd be shocked at how many business owners don't know the core numbers about their business, their revenue, their gross profit, their gross margin, their expenses, their net profit. Their, what's in their balance sheet. They don't know fundamental accounting stuff. It's fascinating to me. How do you know if you're winning or not? Yeah. Okay. So, you, you know, you got to learn some stuff about your numbers. That's really, really important. But it's not that complicated, you know. Uh, so you got to know your numbers. Your numbers tell the story about people. Yeah. Okay. And so using dashboards, I mean, if we went to a football game and there was no scoreboard that tells us the time, the down, the distance, or the score, how interested would we be? So boring. Yeah. It's like watching a bunch of guys beat each other up out there. Yeah. But to what end? Scoreboards drive us to we want to win. So this tells us whether we're winning or not. Yeah. And you'd be shocked at how many businesses have no scoreboards. Yeah. They have no way to know whether we're winning. They know after the fact when they get their financials. Well, it's too late to do anything about it then. Let's forecast what we want to have happen and work toward the forecast. Yeah, I see a lot of small businesses before I really got in and dove deep into what you're just talking about. At the end of the month, they go, you know what? Here was my checking balance last month versus this month. This is how much I gained. This, that, yeah. I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. What about your expenses? <laughs> and, you know, daily right. bill once a quarter. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. it's uh, it's amazing how people run their businesses on that. No joke. I was looking at a set of financials just the other day, and I was looking at the revenue number, and I'm going, this just doesn't make sense. What they had done is they had gotten PPP money, Oh, and included yeah. that as part of their revenue. No. And so they're sitting there saying, we've, we've done almost an extra million dollars in revenue that Ooh. came from the PPP loan. <laughs> and I'm like, has that been forgiven? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been forgiven. I said, that's a balance sheet transaction. That's not a P&L transaction. That's right. You know? You don't put that on your P&L because no. it's blowing those numbers out of the water. There's yeah. a teeny little book 
Keith Cunningham, is that right? Yeah. That we have given, we've probably given dozens of these away because it's it so concisely describes what your numbers are for, when to look at them, what is important, not all of you know Why? the big complicated accounting, but this is what you have to know. Why you look at these three sheets? Yes. Yeah. How to yeah. read them and what it means. Yes. Income statement, cash flow statement, yeah. balance sheet. Bingo. That's it. And that's I mean, it. wildly important. But I remember the first time I read it, 10, 15 years ago, thinking, "Why didn't they just teach this in college?" Yes. <laughs> yeah. I took a boatload of accounting and economics, yeah. and I still never yeah. learned that. <laughs> and it's not a very what a hundred page. Oh, it's teeny. teeny That's yeah. why we give this yeah. one away because yeah. it's, it's it, you know possible. You're not scared by the end of that book. We're like, I get it. Okay. So one of the premises of Great Game of Business and why it is so popular is it teaches financial literacy to the people in the company. Okay, that's part of the process. That's a big deal. Know and teach the rules. Okay, so how do we get people to be able to read those three financial statements and know what they mean? Okay, they have a whole training that that you do to teach them how a business makes money, and it's amazing what happens is when people understand that they understand that that extra box of paper clips over here, somebody's paying for that. And that's coming out of the money that could drop to the bottom line, which could mean a bonus or not. You know, and they begin to understand that, and so they make better decisions. And they can see their impact. Yep. Like, wow, how good does that yeah, feel when absolutely. you know how important you are? That's what We call that line of sight. How what I do impacts the company. You know, Do we have line of sight with that? Mm. And when you get that, now you, people understand that the work that I'm doing makes a difference. Yeah. So many people also focus on my revenue. Not profit. <laughs> That's the number one. How much? Hey, how much revenue is your business doing yeah. a year? You know what? <laughs> I, I'll take a million dollars in profit over three million dollars of revenue in a heartbeat. So, you so <laughs> there's a there's a friend of mine down in uh, Australia. His name's Alan Miltz, and Alan has a saying. He says, "Revenue is vanity. Oh, so profit true. is sanity, and yeah. cash flow is king." There so you true. go. You know, and, <laughs> so and, true. You know, we, we always talk about cash flow is the oxygen to your business. Yeah. And if you run out of cash, what happens to your business? How many of y'all are going to work for free? Yeah. Do you know Bert Copeland? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Bert. Yeah. Yeah. His 13 week cash yeah. flow. Yeah. I mean, he's, I love listening to Yeah. Him. Bert is spot on with that. Yeah. And I'm a Bert fan. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing how many business owners don't know the financial condition of their business because it helps you make decisions. Yes. See, as leaders, we have to make decisions. What's working? What's not? Where are we going to invest our money? Yes. Okay. Numbers will help you make those decisions. Okay. We don't want to waste our money. We, you know, we work too hard to make it. Why do we throw it away? And, and so we want the numbers to tell us a story, but we've got to be able to interpret yep. what they say. Yep. What does this mean? Okay, is this good or not good? Okay, there's a friend of mine uh, named Greg Crabtree who wrote a book called uh, Simple Numbers, Big Profits. It's one of the most popular accounting books out there because he kind of demystifies all this stuff. And, and the premise is that you, there's seven numbers on the income statement. That if you pay attention to these, you can know whether you're winning or not. Now, income statements can be really, really yes. long, but there's seven key numbers. And if you pay attention to these numbers, you can know whether you're doing good or not. Yeah. And and there's so many business owners that don't know because they think, oh, that's just the accountants. I hire the accountants to do all that stuff. Well, the problem is if you don't get your information timely, what can yeah. you do about it? Yeah. Timely and accurate are the two big things I and see in the numbers. This is also where education is so important, but also asking for help or hiring mm -hmm. help when that is a shortcoming. I mean, you know, there was a period in my business early on where I was reading the numbers and looking at it, but I didn't know what they were telling me. And so one example, because I have too many to count, but one example was um, our salaries were way too high, meaning the total represented an inappropriately large percentage yeah. of our total expenses. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't have a benchmark. I did not realize how dangerous that really was and why I was so dependent on revenue, right? Because I didn't know how the ratios. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I didn't think 
about it like that. Like I had yeah. separated them and I didn't realize that huge salary burden was actually creating massive risk in the business for all of us. And, right. you know, just learning things like that. But it took professionals. It took, you know, great leaders that have been added to my team to go, okay, yeah. <laughs> let me show you something. You know, but I wouldn't have come to that naturally. And I was reading and learning, but I mean, I had hired a fractional chief financial officer for a year, totally changed everything, yep. you know, and then doing the work, implementing technology and eventually having somebody that, you know, his mastery is around understanding numbers and seeing a story inside of it. Back to the leadership piece. I mean, just transformational, but other people got me there. Right. You know, I mean, I was never going to, that was sure. just not and, my and natural you know, inclination. Most, most business owners are, uh, Michael Gerber in his book, The E-Myth, calls them technicians. Most business owners are great technicians. They're great at plumbing. They're great at doing electrician work. They're great at HVAC, but they're lousy at accounting. They're lousy at marketing. They're lousy at sales. The best business owners I've ever known are the people that understand their weaknesses and are willing to admit Hey, you don't know everything. You know, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know everything. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to learn a lot, but I don't know everything. And when I find something, I actually have coaches myself. Love it. Okay. You know, I'd be pretty hypocritical if I said, you really need a coach and I don't have a coach. <laughs> Good point. You know? And, I mean, in listening to you, yeah. someone would think, honestly, who could possibly teach you well, more I got, than I got, this I got this guy up it's in amazing. New England. He's an Italian 65-year-old Italian from Boston, and he has no problem kicking my butt. That's awesome. No problem that at all. That is awesome. And, and uh, I mean, he is, a, he is a dear brother, And uh, uh, but he holds me accountable. We all need somebody to hold us accountable. Yeah. Okay? And it's the better person is not necessarily your spouse. Okay? Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> not giving away any names. <laughs> So right after I started doing coaching, I went into my wife. I said, well, tell me about that problem. She goes, don't do that coaching stuff with me. <laughs> it wasn't quite the line. stuff wasn't the word she used. <laughs> don't start that coaching stuff with me. And so, you know, the, the, the key to success is being self-aware. You know, probably one of the greatest books somebody could read is the book about emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Because when you become aware of how you're perceived and what your strengths and your weaknesses are, you can begin to take action to, to address those and things. And you can get out of other people's way who are better yeah. suited to yes. solve problems yeah. and do great things. Absolutely. Yes. And so, you know, I, I don't pretend to be the, the end-all, be-all authority on coaching. I've been doing it for 20 years. Okay, I've seen a lot. Before coaching was cool. Before coaching was cool. That's right. But you know what? The uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I, I I pinch myself that I I get paid to do what I love to do. I love it. And when you can find that, you don't go to work. You get to go help somebody. Yes. And and that's that's why we do it. Agreed. So. so amazing. I love it. Well, thank yeah. you, Mike, so much for pouring so much wisdom and passion into the business world and then into this conversation today. I, I told you, this is why he's on here, because your brain will be like, oh my gosh, I'm exploding over here with things I want to go work on and think about and challenge myself on. It's so awesome. Yeah. Prioritization is one of the greatest skills you can develop. You know, we always got more to do than we got time to do it. Where can people find you, Mike? Uh, best way is our website is uh, www.resultsimproved.com. You can go to our website and, and uh, reach out to me there. Uh, and that's that's the best way is just go to our website, send me a message, we'll follow up. And, uh, you know, we always are willing to help anybody, no matter what their situation is. And, uh, you know, it gives me a good excuse to go have a cup of coffee with somebody, make a new friend. Dive into an amazing conversation. Yep. I love yep. it. Um, as a side note, do you know Mark Vincent? He has a podcast called oh, yeah. The Third I know Turn. Mark. He yeah. Convene, or he was yeah. formerly with Convene Process Consulting. Yeah. So he is diving into this third turn work where the first turn of a, of a person is really them finding their mastery and their confidence in the value they bring, you mm -hmm. know, like finding their place. And then the second turn is finding their place in leadership, like uh -huh. creating space for other people to be successful in doing all the things. And then the third turn is 
leaders, successful leaders who are really maximizing their significance and their impact. And it's amazing because I'm listening to you being like, oh my gosh, literally like third turn. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, me just listening to the evolution of, you know, this incredible career and, you know, where you get to be and, you know, what you get to do is amazing. I have people ask me all the time, how did you learn all this stuff? You know, and I tell them, I just hang out with people that have been doing it for a long time, and I ask a lot of questions. I stand on the shoulders of giants. I really do. I mean, I've learned from so many coaches that have forgotten more about coaching than I'll ever know. And I, I love to hang out with them and, and listen to them. And I got to do some of that last week with some of the folks at Great Game of Business. I mean, there there are some brilliant people that are coaches in that organization. And, you know, I look at what they do and I'm going, you know, that makes a lot of sense to, to do that that way. And I mean, that's how you get good at this is you just watch what other people, you learn from the people that are the best in the world. And that's what athletes do. You know, they, they train each other. They have coaches and they have people that teach them and help them get better. And, and uh, you know, so coaching's not, you know, that end all be all solve all your problems. It's not okay, but it sure does help. It can help. And sometimes having a, a, a neck extra set of eyes, look at stuff can uh, give you some perspective. When I was uh, an uh, IT student in college, we, you know, getting computer time because we had a big IBM mainframe, you know, and getting computer time was always at a premium because everybody was trying to do it. You didn't, you rarely could get on there during the day. Yeah. So I figured it out. The best time to go up there and get lab time was at midnight because <laughs> it was open 24 by seven. And the best part was all the Chinese students were in there. And so when I could, I would have a problem with my program. I could not figure out why it wouldn't work. I'd bring over my friend, uh, Luan, and Luan would look. He goes, you're missing that right there. I've looked at this a hundred times and <laughs> could not find that. And he goes, it's right there. Fix that. Fix it and it'll work. Wow. Getting a separate set of eyes to look at it that's not emotionally in, in, you know, tied to it, there's so much value to that. So... You know, I, I have people outside my company evaluate what we're doing. That's and fantastic. because I want their feedback, I want to get better. And that's one of my, my insatiable desires is I'm always, what can we do to be better? What can we do to add more value? And that's where you win as a business. You keep doing that, you have all the business you, you need. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you again so much. What a fun, fun conversation. We have so much more to do, Kyle. I know. <laughs> Onward and upward. Absolutely. My head's going to explode. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks for letting me be a part. Oh, so fun. I think this is cool. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see everybody. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.